Welcome to Tales from the Multiverse, where I, Gabe Sluice, will spin you stories from worlds parallel and beyond our own. This week, our short story is Laura Clark, which is a sneak peek at the first few chapters of a book I'm working on, which is tentatively titled Behold the Interstice. If you're a constant listener, you should know that uh, episode 21 was titled Who is Laura Clark? And after that episode, you should have some idea. So if you're up to speed, there should be some familiar characters, and if not, I still think you're going to enjoy it. Here we go! Laura Clark The golden lantern cut through the waves of the southeast Pacific, as if it remained in place, the ocean preferring, rather, to pass about it. The custom yacht was the size of a battleship, exquisitely maintained, designed and styled with maximum economy. No smokestacks or other form of engine exhaust was emitted from its entirety. Darkness settled over the rough blue ocean, and the ship sailed northward. Down below in the cargo hold, Mitri Gesholt was taking inventory, ensuring the stability of stacked field crates, which had been returned to the ship earlier in the morning. His eyes were red, and he moved slowly as he pounded nails back into place on the second-to-last crate to be logged into the hold. He supposed he should not be frustrated at having to work late into the night, while the majority of the crew had drinks and celebrated returning from the field expedition. For most of the deployment, he had little work, being assigned to the ship. All he had to do was supervise the offloading of supplies once they had reached the Chilean beach camp, and relax until the explorers had returned. Two full days of work, and a month away from his family, were nothing compared to how well he was being paid. He finished pounding the last square nail into place when he heard a particular sound from the elevator that dropped down into the hold. Mitri craned his neck and, seeing nothing, climbed down from the stack and left his clipboard in place. He wandered through the stacks of pinewood crates towards the origin of the indescribable sound. Boss, that you? he asked in his thick Russian accent. Come to check on me. He rounded the corner of a particularly large stack of crates and slumped to his butt at the sight of the non-manifested cargo. He scrambled for his radio with one hand and his thin pistol with his other. Shaking and uncoordinated, he aimed the pistol from his hip rather than the sight and called on the handheld radio. Beal! Beal! Come quick! It's Dimitri! I need security team to hold, he said, trying hard not to lapse back into his native tongue. Mitri realized his weapon was uncocked, so he dropped the radio to his lap and fiddled with the pistol. Every member of the crew was issued a slim, small-caliber pistol, but it was Mitri's first exposure to firearms. The radio came back to him as he readied the gun, keeping his eyes locked on the unexpected arrival. An hour later, Bill Trainer stood in front of the door leading to the ship's stateroom. He collected his thoughts and let out a breath as he built up the nerve to knock. Unsure whether he was heard over the faint music coming from deep within the yacht's most luxurious living quarters, the shipmaster raised his hand for a second attempt. Before he could bring his knuckle down to the dark wood, the music cut off. He swallowed and cleared his throat as he sensed the approach of the ship's owner. Laura Clark opened the door. She held the edge of the door by one extended arm, the jam in the other. While Bill Trainer had been in the presence of his employer many times on their present journey, 
he was still initially taken back by her presence. To own a yacht of this caliber at just 28 years of age spoke to her intelligence more than any person he had met in his life. And while many people of intelligence in this day and age were odd and unconcerned with appearance, Laura Clark was the complete opposite. She was beautiful, with shoulder-length straight dark hair, intense eyes, and a practical nature, far different than most wealthy individuals. As it was the beginning of the night, she wore loose tan slacks, a sweater, and full-length housecoat that was untied at the waist. Mr. Trainer, I trust this is an important visit for you to be disturbing me after dinner hours, she said flatly. You will forgive me, miss, but something most surprising has been found down in the hold that I think you will want to see. Did a creature get into one of those shipping crates? she asked, posture softening. No, miss, I can explain it as we walk if you like, Bill said, stretching out a hand, leading in the direction of the hold. Laura wrinkled her brow, drew her hand off the back of the door, bringing a holstered pistol with it. She affixed the weapon to her waistband, below her navel, and wrapped the housecoat around herself. Bill shuffled and took the lead, explaining as they went. We checked the manifest several times over, and the man that found it just completed a full inventory. It was Mitri, one of the Russians you hired as a deckhand. He came down on a stack and found the damn thing sitting between himself and the exit. He nearly shot it out of fright. They went down the two flights of metal stairs. What exactly appeared, Bill? That's why we came to you. You seem to be an expert in these things. That's what you investigate for Dr. McCready, isn't it? Unusual things? And one more thing, it had a note taped to its head. He stopped short of the entrance of the hold and stood aside. Laura went past him without a pause, turning the final corner, coming directly up to the back of the robot. Laura paused, head jerking backwards in surprise. With curious suspicion, she circled around the robot like a shark, carefully eyeing the out-of-place machinery, yet keeping her distance. On the catwalk above the entrance to the hold, three men stood spread out, rifles at the ready, lowering their barrels when their employer stepped into their field of fire. Laura inspected every operational group of the robot as she circled, three times. The interior mechanics were encased within an off-white outer layer, protecting functionality. High points on joints were covered with an angular, rounded sections of thick metal armor. The head was nearly human-shaped, with a flat, black pentagon where the face would sit. The torso had several small arms wrapped into itself, stowed for functionality. The back had what appeared to be a folding wing set and rocket, compactly designed and different in form from the rest of the robot, yet still painted white and fully integrated into the main body housing. A pair of leather satchels were secured to the torso, away from the panel coverings. The complex machine seemed to imitate human form in a majority of ways, apart from the base. The robot would most definitely move on the dynamic tracked base, which had treads that resembled the flexible movements of snake scales. Laura finished her initial inspection, standing face to face with the unexplained addition to her ship. We did not collect this in Chile, she said to no one. After a moment's pause, she took a step forward and removed the note, a small slip of yellow paper folded in half, taped to the robot's equivalent of a chin. On the outside fold, written in perfect pen strokes, 
was two words, Laura Blickton. Laura Clark opened the note, read the contents, and took a step back. She addressed her overwatch. Thank you, lads, but I can handle this myself. She raised her voice to be heard by all. Clear the hold. I will not be interrupted. You do not belong in 1949, Laura said, keeping her distance from the white robot. Her words echoed slightly in the abandoned hold. A pair of long heartbeats passed, with no reaction from the machine. She started to think that she could have been wrong, and then it moved. The pentagon face snapped in her direction. The mechanical soldier moved forward on its base. Laura took a sharp breath, and then was upset at herself for feeling startled. She took a step back and sat upon one of the low crate stacks. In fact, I would wager that you don't even belong in 2049. On that, you would be wrong, the robot said. It had a male voice with a smooth American accent, dynamic enough to be interesting, but regular enough to be taken seriously. The hardware that you see before you was designed in the 2030s. Upgrades have been made from technology later than 2049, including my processing unit and programming. But most of what you see would have been engineered and constructed in a parallel timeline that was 20 years beyond your maximum life cycle in the year 2014. Laura cocked her head to the side. She stared at the machine in front of her and began to consider what it had just said. Part of her knew a day like this would come, but in all her time searching the globe for answers to her questions, she had found very little. The feeling came over her strong. In front of her sat the solution to her problem. Tell me everything, she said. Everything? The robot repeated back. Yes, you know exactly what I want to know, Laura said flatly. You came to me from the future on my ship in the middle of the ocean when I was the least surrounded by my people. Let's not play games. Tell me everything so we can get to work. I'm 28 already. I want it to end this time around. Very well. To begin, I am called Envy. You were born, Laura Blickton, in 1921. I would prove to you that I know about your life, but I would have to pick one to start with. Unfortunately, I only stumbled onto your time nod in what I believe was your second cycle. Therefore, I only have definite knowledge from the third, fourth, fifth, and this cycle. But by my approximations, based upon a standard natural death endings seen in the first two cycles, and my observations that at the age of three you regain your entire life's memory, and factoring in the fourth short cycle, you have experienced 415 years of life in six cycles. To hear it out loud from another, a secret she had not fully told since her granddaughter at the end of her second life, an immense weight was lifted off the old woman's mind. Her shoulders relaxed, and a deep breath came out of her lungs. It felt as if a layer of old skin had begun to slide off, her delicate new flesh feeling things she had not known for cycles. The robot started to continue, but Laura cut him off. You came from the future, she said. Now, you're stuck in my cycles of rebirth. You are here for my help to escape. That is not entirely correct. I was created in a future version of your world, and I do have the capacity to travel in time. But I am by no means trapped here. To put it simply, I am an explorer. 
I entered this universe, which appears to have knotted itself in time, with yourself being the common thread through each 93-year iteration, and thus the most interesting part. I am here for you, Laura Blickton. Alright, there you go. That is Laura Clark, which is going to be an upcoming chapter of the book I'm working on, Behold the Interstice. You heard it here before you read it anywhere. That's pretty cool, right? Speaking of reading it anywhere, uh, why don't you pick up some of my other books, uh, including Arrow of Time, where you can learn more about Envy, which is that weird robot I just uh, talked about. Uh, you can find these books on iTunes, Smashwords, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you like to get ebooks. Also, find me on Twitter. I'm at Gabe Sluice. Come on back to me next week. Got another really good short story for you. It's going to be the third... A uh, little segment I release about uh, Behold the Interstice, and it's going to be something you've never heard before. It may have some things to do with some other stuff, as most of my short stories do, but uh, you'll definitely want to check that one out. Until then, I will see you guys next week.